0: Stacking them deep,
1: selling them cheap. That tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're just out here
0: stacking pennies.
1: All right, guys, we are back with a bonus next-gen recap edition of Stacking Pennies. Thank you for tuning in. I am Corey LeJoy, joined by a couple of my good friends. Mr. Ice Club Blue Mountain Takes, Jonathan Merriman. What's up? Pit Road Boats and Will's Analyst, front tire changer for Brad Kozlowski, Mr. Ryan Flores. Hello from New Jersey. Reporting from the nursery in somebody's house with the crib in the background and baby blankets, where are you at? At
2: my mom's house here in the lovely Jersey Shore.
3: Is that pottery? I think I have the same crib. (laughs) I might
1: be. I don't know. Might be. And last but not least, our dear friend Chuck Bush.
4: Hey, greetings and salutations. I had to be weird on that one.
1: Man, not going to lie. It's been a week. And I already missed you guys. I missed talking to you and Miss BS in a little bit, but my wife is not too happy, Chuck, because she looks forward for three months about the offseason. We're a week and a half in, and I've been in the track more in the last 10 days than I've been in the last two months. So we have had a next gen test at Charlotte. We had a next gen test at Roval a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but we I wanted to get on here and do an episode. Just to get y'all up to speed, besides just whatever Bob Pockers is tweeting out, to give y'all a little peek behind the actual driver's seat and a peek, peek behind the old pit crew gun with Ryan Flores on one nut stops now that we've actually done some, and we know what we're talking about somewhat. Well, first
3: off, she, she must not be too mad because you're having a second baby, and that requires close physical contact, so congratulations to you. The one time every six months, man,
1: I, I hit pay dirt, so uh, thanks for that yep so he's regarding the information about that came out last week kelly and i are expecting baby numero dose. so we're looking forward to that and thanks for all the well wishes there chuck where are we at with the insiders outsiders perception of the first let's call it the first the first oval next gen test with the majority of cars there
4: well I'll say where we are from my perspective. Um, you know, We we streamed it on NASCAR's YouTube channel. We had a, a live, basically, crash cam, if you will, up covering the laps. And, I mean, it got a lot of views on the YouTube, not going to lie. And it was cool to watch. Like, I'm sitting at home watching the cars go around, and you got a thought that you, you, you got in your head right there, Corey?
1: Well, yes, because you called a crash cam, and it got a crash less than six minutes into that test. Yeah. Um, what happened was, uh, so it was us, the three, I believe the 21 went out first. There was like four cars. Usually the track is hammered down, ton of grip. So we were going to go out there and be some heroes, lay some heater laps down and feel out what these next-gen cars are all about. I believe there's a little bit of moisture down in the middle of one and two because I hit it and had multiple big moments like sideways, catch, sideways, catch all the way to the fence and about pile drove our stuff into the fence. And then Austin came about 300 yards behind me and was not as lucky as I was because when his stuff went, he overcorrected and the thing sat in the left rear and he hit head on. I've never seen a tank slapper bite that bad head on at Charlotte. That was wild.
4: Well, the wild thing about it, at least from my perspective, is that test session was a long one because they were going into, into night. So we got to see the cars under the lights, but they took that car back to the shop and welcome and got it fixed. And it was back that day
0: to finish the nighttime session, to see it back on track
3: with an hour to spare. I'm
0: going to lean on Brian to talk about the feat Cause him and I talked about it on the phone uh, er- earlier that
1: what the probability of doing that with the current car and the next gen car, it's not even the same conversation.
2: Nah, the current car is zero, right? Um, you yeah, know, body load on body work. gets a, It's a three-day ordeal if you're flat out. But talking to um, my buddy, S.J. Golomboski, who's the tire guy, he's a good friend of ours, tire guy on a three-car, he kind of explained what happened. I guess they had a little bit of time once the car wrecked, say the car, the test started at 9, and they wrecked at 9.08, right? Car got back to the garage. They had a little bit of time waiting on the roll-off, so they started taking stuff off it there, and then uh, call it 11 o'clock when they got the car back up to welcome now loaded it there the road crew guys had a front clip sitting there with suspension hung on it ready to go and he said that they were head down digging from about 11 to two o'clock they never took a breath and it was it was everybody in the shop working pretty hard on it and he said that they got it done on the setup plate and ready to go back in time where they even contemplated rewrapping the thing so uh obviously a lot of talented guys at all these race teams up at rcr but to be able to do that now it kind of proves the value of why we're doing this
3: and let's not discredit them either rcr helped i think build the first one of these right so if anybody's going to put it through its paces in terms of wrecking it and fixing it that that rcr crew has probably got more now granted people leave and go different places but that RCR groups got a lot of experience with that that next gen car building. it.
4: When with the announcement this past week, as well of having practice and qualifying back for next season, say in practice, you you know, go ahead first to the wall, you, you detonate it, right? Do you necessarily have to go to the backup right away? Like, does this give you with the composite body and all that stuff, and with the ability to do that,
1: does it help out at the track any? It certainly changes the dynamic. And I think that it also opens the opportunities for a small team to not have, you know, what originally you might have thought you needed six or seven cars in rotation to get through the whole year. You might only need three to four, you know, and if you're talking about a smaller team where it's between 300 and 400 grand per car, what by the time that thing's ready to put a motor in to hit the racetrack, you know, 1.2 to $1.5 million is a big swing. If you don't have to buy it, those two or three extra cars to have your circulation be enough to where you're not getting backlogged. But if you can stuff one in the fence, and I'm talking absolutely trash it. I mean, that three car was destroyed. And of note, that was the new clip that NASCAR just developed with a couple different lightning holes, a couple different crash structures that actually crush a little bit more to absorb some of that energy. So that thing did its job. The actual numbers on that crash, they released them were 21 G's. So it was a big lick. Austin hopped out and was fine and he was racing that night. So I think that just that fact alone is really impressive and, and certainly tips the cap in the right direction of what we need to do with the sport to be able to build a race car in a day, essentially, and come back and be competitive that night. Now, if you stuff one in practice or qualifying next year during, you know, on a Saturday, you could have that thing turned back around your primary car potentially on Sunday morning. So uh, I think that would be up to the team, but you'll certainly want a backup car in the truck, just barring, you know, a catastrophic issue. But
4: I'm, I'm not saying you wouldn't ha- have that, but if you can avoid going to that, right. Like if you know that this is your, your main bullet that you got out there and it's the one that's going to get you that top 15 or whatever,
0: well, I think, you know, I think of Daytona Speed Week where teams would have their clash car, their, they would have two cars down there for, you know, in case Traps traps one in the 125s. You could be okay and confident going in there with two cars. You're not going to get in trouble uh, with that. So, but I, I like that fact for sure. They drive way different. You know, those things are super sensitive to the, to the pitch and the roll, and they get – they're off the ground, obviously, a lot more than what those cars that we had, the Gen 6 cars were, so they get a little more roll, he pitch, the whole deal, because they get a little bit more movement since you're not on a bump stop like we were used to. So, you know, does NASCAR have some levers they need to pull and to pull in terms of arrow to get the cars to race a little bit better in traffic and some other things? Yeah, but I also think that, like I've been preaching for the last three months, give NASCAR guys a little bit of rope to let them. Like I'm not even going to judge this thing in the first week. I'm not going to judge this thing the first six months of the year when we go to these racetracks the first time there's NASCAR's going to keep tweaking on this thing, whether that be diffuser, whether that be spoiler height, whether that be horsepower, like they have, they're going to make it a good show. So, you know, I think we get lost in the sauce of, well, we need this horsepower. We need this downforce. We need whatever puts on a good show. And we all are collectively on board with what, uh, you know, what needs to happen, but I think the car itself, barring some tweaks, certainly has a lot of good potential.
2: Yeah, I think one thing that was kind of unanimous that I picked up from it, um, it seemed that the steering issues were fixed, which was a big, which was like a kind of a big trigger on the last, uh the last test at the Roval, there was a lot of steering issues, so it seems like you worked through them, everybody was a little bit nervous, you know, getting into one at Charlotte's, one of the highest loads you see all year, Um like, in the one at charlotte and and at dover so to be able to do that and kind of it sounded like we got through that without any um issues the other thing is like it seems like guys like you are happy right you're more competitive uh your your speed is more comfortable than it was with the old car and if you've been driving a a gibbs car hendrick car or penske car maybe you're not as happy as you are right um so i think that that's one thing that i picked up from there which should tighten the field and make the racing better
1: I think that, yes, if I was on the front side of the garage and the team I was driving for had a distinct advantage with shock grip or aero grip or, you know, some sort of underbelly stuff that was advanced compared to some other teams, I probably wouldn't like it. I wouldn't like a live fast racing to be in the top eight. I wouldn't like to see Aspire Motorsports be in the top four to eight in every next-gen test either, you know, just because our Delta to the leaders when it used to be 1.2 seconds to Charlotte, now it's two tenths of a second, and you can find and tweak and get that. Now, the bigger teams will figure it out a little bit quicker than the smaller teams, but how far can they go? You know, it's like right now, there's no end to the development. There's no end for the gains that they can make aerodynamically ahead of what Aspire Motorsports can, because we don't ever see the wind tunnel. Now, with the same body, belly pan, fill in the blank, I don't think that those bigger teams that hit on it can get that further out in front of the teams that can't. So I like the idea of it. Now we have to acknowledge Merriman that if all of this, like we are trying to entice another OEM or at least appease the current OEMs because as much as the broadcast money drives a sport, the OEM money drives a sport equally, if not more, because if Toyota wakes up one day and asks why they're funding racing series that has a 1969 chevelle front end on it and a 1968 chevy pickup rear end like we're screwed right the more manufacturers in the sport the better the sport is and the high tide raises all ships
3: i mean i think a lot of people are, are like me right they got into the sport because they not necessarily because they like racing but they like cars i'm not an exclusive fan uh that's now become an employee of this sport and to look underneath my GTO in the garage and look underneath a cup car, you know, mine's an 06, right? I've got independent rear suspension, cup cars got solid rear axle, all that stuff. Like it, it's a difference. And I think it, it's relatable. It gives you another end, right? And my takeaway at the end of the day from what I saw on the racetrack, from what I saw on pit Road, it is going to be 40 drivers competing it's not going to look that different out on the racetrack no matter where the numbers are how big the wheels are how low profile the tires are no matter what kind of suspension you have underneath it or how many lug nuts you have on the car everyone's out there competing you're still going to see a race let
1: me stop you there let me stop you there let's take into consideration though we have had 40 years maybe a little bit less call it 20 years a development with the current, or the previous now, package of race cars, right? We have learned what race is best at Vegas. We've learned what race is best at Martinsville. We've learned what race is best at these mile and a half that presumably continue to provide worse and worse racing with the development of technology and cars getting lower and more more reliant on air for speed. Let's not knee-jerk reaction this one car that they've had 10 months to develop right and now that was our first in-person test where you know say what you want to cfd and computer models are somewhat accurate but they don't react to real life in the asphalt dyno like you would hope so with that being said let's give nascar a little bit leeway to pull the things and, and tweak the car that we have now with there's a combination of things that make the cars there's a, there's a discrepancy. I don't want to keep jumping around, but there's a discrepancy, you know, people on Twitter or Reddit want to say all oh, the cup cars need to drive hard. They need to, they need to be hard to drive. They're a cup car. They need to be hard to drive. Okay. Yes. I agree with that, but they need to be hard to drive in a different way than they currently are hard to drive. When you have to be on the razor's edge of grip by yourself, let me tell you something. You're not going to be wanting to race side by side with another guy who's on the razor edge of busting his ass by himself. So you have to get the car somewhat settled down. NASCAR did make some changes the second day of the test, mind you. You can't look at the scoring sheets and say like, "Oh, this guy's the fastest; this guy's the slowest." There are some projects going on. There are some science projects. I believe that NASCAR added about an inch to the right side of the spooler on Harvick's car and about a one-inch wicker. Down the right side quarter and gave them some gave him the xfinity series tapered spacer to just try a little bit more side force a little less down force and more horsepower and he ran a half second faster and made it better to drive so they're trying to figure out what equation this next-gen car likes to provide better racing here's one thing i'll add right
2: and i'm a racer through and through you know you and i have done this from the bottom to the top every level of it I haven't skipped a step right and the day's of, I, I hear a lot of people come up to me and say, "Well, the ingenuity's gone, and the days of Smoky Eunuch and Leonard Wood and all that, and and you know, go go for it, Roush and Yates battling over horsepower, building better heads build. like that's that is very far removed from where we are right now as a sport. And now it's it's a room of 40 engineers finding you know ways to get more side force than the next guy and it's fun if you're in the sport or you kind of understand what's going on, but it is not correlated to TV and to be able to see, you know, firsthand the ingenuity that's actually going on. It's not there. So we don't, we don't live in that world anymore, even though it's sexy to think back of it. You know, we just live in a world where the Chevys are faster than the Fords and Toyotas and we don't know why. And the same people that are pissed off about the ingenuity are pissed off that the Chevys are winning all the races. So this is a way to level the playing field and it's a place where we have to go. So um, to to think that we're ever going to go back to the days of like Smokey Eunuch taking his gas tank out and driving back, you know, because uh, he had a fuel line wrapped around under the seat, driving back uh, to his trailer. You know, we're just never going to get back there, and this is this is where we have to be.
1: Well, let me ask the rhetorical question: Is the playing field really going to be equal? Is it ever been equal? No, but it's going to be a hell of a lot more equal than what it is. Yeah. In Phoenix, in 20. 20- but somebody's
4: going to always figure out a way to take the rules that are in place and get that extra little bit and get that extra bit of speed, get, you know, save a little bit of weight on this side of the car. Like it's going to happen like that's that's the whole thing with NASCAR from the beginning has always been constantly chasing that rule structure. Right. Like, I've used that example before of Bill French changing the rules in victory lane to say that you got to have a shirt on in victory lane like that's just. Like NASCAR sees an issue and then addresses the issue. And the teams find the gray area there, then it gets adjusted. And it's this constant back and forth. And that's, that's the competitive side of it to me. That's the intriguing side to watch everybody figure out where they get the advantage. And NASCAR fans tend to think, oh, well, we got to go back to this way or we got to keep it this way. It's like we're constantly chasing and trying to make the product better. Nobody is sitting there going, how can we make this a shittier product? Like that is that is never in anybody's thing. It's always what can we do to make it better? Is it always hundred percent right the first time that they put it out there? No, but they keep chasing it and they keep trying to make it better.
1: Are you sure, Chuck? Because I think O'Donnell sits in that conference room. <laughs> so how can we make a shitbox? That's what yeah. we want to do as a sport. No, you know he's not doing that. Now I also will say, you know, when teams are finding the gray areas, those particular teams that do have an actual fine budget like a penalty budget you know when those guys are selling 25 million dollar sponsors they can afford to put a million dollars into a loose lug nut fee into a i don't know a compliance infraction fee like those teams are equally incentivized to find what those gray areas are to find a little bit of speed because those sponsors can justify the spend aspire motorsports we can't afford a damn lug nut penalty, let alone get slapped in the hand for 50 grand for doing something that we we're trying to get a little bit of speed in our car. So we try to stay in our box and we'll let everybody else find the areas for speed. And then we'll try to find it out afterwards. They also have the,
2: have the personnel to have the depth to lose a crew chief for a week or a couple of weeks or lose somebody here or there. Yeah.
4: Well, that, that's like back when uh, Richard Petty got popped for having the engine that was too big at Charlotte back in what, 83, somewhere in there. Kyle had been running that engine for like weeks. They were testing it out in his car and they're not paying attention to Kyle Petty's car, but then, you know, Richard puts it in there and it gets popped. So they're trying stuff and getting away with it. And then boom, you know, they put it in the big one. They try and get it done uh, to get
1: that race win and uh, and it doesn't, doesn't go so well. So to answer my own question, it makes the playing field much more even. Does it make it even? No, there's still, you know, little Tom foolery with motor packages and this and that, but also it's in your people to Ryan's point of the depth of your team to be able to assemble those cars to fit and finish Indy cars. You know, that's, that's what you almost have to point to. Those are a common source manufacturer chassis and there are teams that are dominant and there's teams that run collectively bad, but you see the guys in the mid mid tier cars can pop off, um, and, and get noticed a little bit more often than what, uh, And then what we have in NASCAR, where the teams that run 25th run 25th each and every week, no matter where you're at. So I'm still optimistic and I'm optimistic of where we're going in the sport. So we've still got
4: organizational tests left before the Daytona 500, before we uh, take to the track in uh, the LA Coliseum. There's still a lot of testing to be done to dial all of this stuff in and, and get guys you know, kind of figuring out what needs to be done to start the season, so we don't we start the season, and the competition is great from, you know, the get go.
1: Yeah, I mean, for sure. Now they get some feedback from the from the veteran guys like Harvick and Denny and those guys that are vocal about what they need to change. You know, it's to make the racing a little bit better. I think the those conversations are being had behind closed doors, and you know, the the Arrow guys over at NASCAR are going to run through an endless amount of combinations to uh, figure out how we all can get the best product possible for you know to to gain the most excitement we possibly can lead into 2022 so that's where we're at
4: i'm excited to see the uh, test in daytona personally honestly i'm looking forward to seeing all these and you can check them out on nascar's youtube because we will potentially be uh streaming the the tests right merriman
1: <clears throat> see <laughs> All right, I I like that recap. Everybody's pumped the brakes. Let's not everybody jump to conclusion. We are one test session into this car. We are gonna be in this car for the foreseeable future. Now, what else we're getting used to seeing, which was a little bit different, than one nut stops. Man, a little bit different. And I had a woe myself. So let's just go ahead and make a transition. We will go to a break and they will come back, pit road boats and woes and talk about nuts.
4: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's byt dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
3: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card...
5: Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it
3: and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: All right, guys, we're back. And you know what time it is. It's time for Pit Road Boats and Woes with my good friend Ryan Flores reporting from the nursery in his mom's house in New Jersey. What are you doing?
2: Here I am. I am, have uh, a full day. Up here racing Wall Stadium, just living the dream.
1: Yeah, so you raced a street stock at Wall Stadium last week. You're racing the Turkey Derby here next week. How do you like your chances in the old street stocker?
2: About, I uh, had that thing won, and I didn't win. Finished fourth, um, I had a had a blast racing. And i uh, got 100 laps of feature in the old street stock on Friday night at Turkey Derby, and uh, it's it's really just the purest form of racing, just American steel and Hoosier rubber. Sino-Co racing gas I'm going for
1: it now nascar's off season is your in season for racing because like you just mentioned you're running street sock a couple of times but also you have a indoor tq three-quarter midget you race atlantic city you race at allentown pennsylvania a couple of times tell everybody what uh what that thing's all about
2: yeah so like you know they still like to race myself sometimes so you know with the nascar season you can't really you can't do it. You can't race on Saturday night and be worth a damn on Sunday. Not at this level. You know, you got to be well-rested and treat yourself like an athlete. So yeah, be out messing around on a, on a Saturday night at Bowman Gray and try to wake up and, you know, be a top five tire changer on Sunday is not going to happen. So I do all my racing in the winter. I come up here. They have the indoor auto racing series here in New Jersey. And, you know, you have, me and you have put countless hours in that midget and we're second on the all-time win list. We come have a good time. and. uh And we throw a cover back on it through the summer. So it is fun. Who's the all time leading indoor winner?
1: Eric Rudolph. I just passed Teddy
2: Christopher last
0: year to be second. So that was a big man. Godspeed to TC. How many do you need to catch Eric Rudolph? Oh,
1: I think three. I'm right
0: there. I'll
1: get him. Going for it this year. Now we're going for it. We are one week into one nutted pit stop practice. What is your initial takeaway? Well, it's, I would say that
2: a lot of teams are more than one week into one lug nut pit practice, but I think we've had a week to digest it. And uh, from four to five, I think it was on Thursday at the test, they did have a a pit stop practice option and Hendrick and RCR uh, took part in that. You're going to have a Hendrick pit crew. So you got to do that. I did see the RCR boys, Paul Swan and them, they did lay down a 10-5, which is pretty solid, pretty, pretty good. That's faster than any uh, five lug nut stop we saw this year. But you know, I think I think one thing to tackle real quick is um, I keep getting the question on why did we have to go to five? Why do we have to go to one lug nut from five? Well, the reason that they had to do that, it's not to try to get rid of tire changers, it's not because they want to be more like him. So you literally can't get an aluminum wheel tight unless you have like the web five lug nuts like you see on a Nissan Altima. And you have to put the socket inside, it would just be a horrendous mess. The steel wheels that we run now have a torque ring in there. That's why you can hit five nuts or four nuts or three nuts and get them tight. With an aluminum wheel to go to that aluminum wheel option, you have to you have to run on one lug nut suspension to make it even remotely something that would be fun or interesting to watch. So. That, that's the question. Is There's not um, some sort of dark lord trying to ruin the sport sitting somewhere. It's just with an aluminum wheel, that's what it has to be. The good news is, it's hard.
1: What's hard about it?
2: Everything. It's not, you know, I, th- I think everybody thought it was going to be easier. Um, the hard things are, you know, pulling the tires there's big brakes and the tire sits deeper inside of the car. So if the face of the wheel is further out than what our old tires are, and then the, the the barrel of the wheel per se goes in about eight inches further over the suspension than than what our old tires did. So it's definitely harder to pull the tire out with as big as a brake rotor and the brake calibers we have on the car are. There's rear the rear uh, camber in the car is a lot more since it's an independent rear suspension. So that's something that everybody's getting used to there. And then understanding the mechanics of when the wheel's tight and when it's not is something that I think we saw show up with you guys, you know, thought you had a loose wheel, they came in, they checked the left rear, you go back out and put around and then the right rear passes you because you just, you know, it, it's such a, it's such a trick to know when it's tight. Sometimes it reacts like it's tight and it isn't. Sometimes if the hang is in between the pins, it feels like it ran up, but it didn't. So it's, it's a whole new feel that is very new, but it's going to really provide a good, I don't know. It'd be really interesting competition on Peter Road.
1: So do you think that the difference, you know, right now we're seeing the fast guys, you know, 11 fours to eleven eighths, you know, like in the top 15 cars are in that range. Do you think the discrep, like the disparity between the fast crews and the 10th place crew is bigger or is it tighter now with one?
2: So I'd say an average pit stop is like a 12-3, right? That's an average, decent pit stop. Or like an 11-5 is what won the race at Homestead, right? That's like top top of the top, 11-5. I think that that'll shift. So like say a 12 is good and an 11 is great. I think now a, a 10 will be good and a 9 will be great. So I think you'll take two seconds off it, but I don't think it's just going to be automatic, right? I think that's i if you have a little bit of a hiccup now and a stop, you'll be at a 13 with the five lug nuts. And I think that if you have a hiccup now and a stop, you know going to Daytona will be in an 11 or 12. I, I don't, I don't know that for a fact. You know, we, I haven't personally done a lot of four tire stops with this because we were chasing championships. But I'm just guessing off of what I've seen. That I don't know that it'll happen in the first four or five weeks, but I think by the end of the year you'll see nines and nines as your fast off, that's just me thinking. I think some people think it's gonna be eight, some people think, I don't think so. I think it's still gonna to have to be, um, you're gonna to have to control your tires, you're gonna to have to get stuff tight, so there's gonna be.
3: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day,
5: So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Some
1: tiptoeing Can you... What's the fastest you can dump two cans? I don't know the answer to that. I want to
2: say... I want to say the fastest you can dump two cans. Now... I think everybody's cans flow a little different. I think that's something that NASCAR will wrap their head around before too long. But there, there's something to be said that that everybody goes right to fuel flow. Well, with stage racing, you don't. How many times have you run to the switch this year? Probably between five and ten.
1: Well, we do it about every race because we're trying to get wave arounds.
2: But you're trying. You're it's a totally different race. Here. But you got to think you're starting with two extra gallons, right? And you know when the cautions are coming out. So not often, you know, you'll split that. Yeah. If tire fall off is as bad as we're saying, it's going to be. You'll split that, and you won't run to the switch or to a full fuel run. We don't run to 18 gallons if we run a lot. We're going to have 20 in there. Now, you don't always want to leave your car short or fill it all the way up based off of balance, but I would say that the races that we're going to be waiting on fuel are going to be the same races now, maybe the Michigans or the Texas races, but it, it's not going to be – just automatically go to one lug nut pit stops are faster now now we have to wait on fuel that's not what it's going to be yeah the, the fuel mileage races are still going to be the fuel mileage races and tracks like darlington are not going to be affected by you know fuel flow heard that well one, one question i had for you is how do you feel with no inner liner because i know that with this lower profile tire there's no inner liner what is that what was that conversation been like for drivers
1: um i mean i don't think interliners are usually useful because if you blow a right front you're hitting the fence inner liner or not right you're still pounding the fence down so I think that was one of the first things NASCAR wanted to get out was just rotating weight and just the extra money of interliners so I don't think anybody's sad to see inner liners go you know I think that was just extra uh, now that's that's a little bit of you know left rear sidewall grip that you were missing out on because you can juice the left rear inner liner up and get some free grip there but you know i think you just have to get acclimated with what makes these new cars go and tick and drive well.
2: well one thing with your wheel falling off right if a wheel fell off the old car the car's wrecked yeah and yours virtually had no damage because the way the rear suspension was and everything it held the rotor off the ground and you just drove back to the pits it just felt like the track almost broke you said
1: yeah it felt you know floppy left to right and then what happened was you mentioned it when you were talking about it. If the hang was in between the pins that hold that tire, there's holes behind the wheel. There's five little pegs on the hub that go inside the wheel to keep the wheel from rotating, you know, aside from, you know, it all. I think rot- there's more than that, but we'll go five. Don't get caught up in the number. Call oh, it six. I think it looks like six. Now, they those pins got perfectly in between the gap of in between those holes in the back of the wheel and they hit the nut and it had just enough thread to get it somewhat tight and then as soon as it fell that once the tire fell in the pins the lug nut wasn't over that detent stop that helps it uh hold that lug nut on because if the tire is hung correctly and you hit the lug nut and it comes loose there's no way for that lug nut to fall off in which case the tire is going to stay on but the lug nut never made it over that detent uh, because it was stuck on the pins and then the whole thing fell right off so it's going to happen and what's going to happen is is whoever's crew chief that is is going to have a four weeks vacation so now but you like you said you couldn't drive it
2: you felt it the minute you left the pits yeah right and you made it back to pit road with that wheel still on there it's not you just pulled out and the wheel fell right off yeah you made it back there and they were convinced that it was the left side wheel that was loose. Tightened the left side wheel, never really checked the right side wheel because they were so convinced that the left side wheel was loose. Turned out to be the right side wheel, so on your second attempt to go back out is when it fell
0: off. off. Right.
2: So, in your race, you would have made it back to pit road.
0: Yes,
1: and also in the race, I wouldn't have fired off for a restart with it because I knew that it was loose as soon as I dropped the jack. You know? Yeah, that,
2: and I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's something that is, a, is has a higher probability now, right? It, it can happen, and it's not the first time it's going to happen, but we are in the very infant stage of these pit stops, and I think I'm kind of happy that, you know, we saw some of the issues that we
1: saw at the test happen um, so we know what to look for moving forward. Heard that. And there you heard it from the pit road, Boats and and us himself. Stick around. We'll talk a little bit of Nashville Banquet coming right up. All right, guys. If you are tuning in to the NASCAR awards ceremony next week on next Saturday, you will see Shack and pennies. Maybe not an FS1 or wherever they're putting the awards, but we will be where Merriman.
3: So yeah, you and Alex, we were doing a DoorDash kind of taste of Nashville show that'll go on uh, YouTube and Facebook NASCAR's channels there at 4:45 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday. December the 4th. And then Stacking Pennies, uh, we're filming that when they're doing burnouts. So we'll film it on Wednesday. It'll air Saturday before NBCSN airs the burnouts. That'll be at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube and NASCAR's Facebook. And then after you get done with us, you can tune into NBCSN at 6 o'clock for burnouts and 7 o'clock for the awards. I'm not going to lie, Merriman and Chuck, I
1: might cut her loose. Out there in Nashville, I got a built-in DD now, so she can get me home just fine. Kelly is your inner liner in Nashville. She is my inner liner. Now she will be particularly pissed off if she has to court me around. But you know what? I've earned this, Chuck. I've earned some Jack Daniels and ginger ales.
4: It's it's always a fun time. I mean, I I really hated that you know we haven't been back to Nashville for Champions Week since '19 because of you know the past two years of what we've gone through, but we're going back. And that like, it was fun in 2019. It's a fun time. It's a great uh, atmosphere and the burnouts on, on Broadway. Uh, that's a lot of fun. Let me tell you. And where we're going to be posted up. We're going to be down at the end of the, uh, at the end of the road down there in that big riverfront park. If you're in Nashville next week, you know, yell stacking pennies at us from uh, somewhere. Uh, Cause we'll be around and you can say hi. This will be our first like in-person podcast in what? Four months? Since August. Since the Since playoffs. Guess,
1: you, know, you know, the date, yeah. you know, I'm not going to name names Merriman remembers very vividly. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it just to see everybody, you know, one last time before we all kind of disperse during the off season months, but you know, to your point, Chuck, it's going to be fun. Now, if you're out in Nashville, live time because it's gonna be taped delayed i guess right because we're doing the actual award ceremony is next thursday but we will be doing it next wednesday the first you'll know you'll see us well i'll probably be at tootsie's if you need to find me look upstairs top shelf of tootsie's i'll be there with bells on
4: are you really gonna have bells on because if you don't actually have it's in the holiday season so you should have like bells on some of your uh accoutrement.
1: I'll have metaphorical bells on Chuck. I'll be there. Cause you will know where I'm at just by listening. So yeah, pumped up about that. I told you I was going to keep this show quick today. So Janie, I fired off a tweet asking for some penny for your thoughts question. Hit me with like three and then I'm hungry. So I gotta eat some dinner. All right. We'll make it quick. The first one is from cod junior seven, two, six, and he says, do you think that opening up the gear rule would increase mechanical grip further and help bring back the high side at the racetracks where we've seen dependence dominant in the Gen 6 era? The gear rule, no, uh, because that's when the engine builders get really pissed because you're twisting those things 10,000 RPM. So the longevity of the motors goes significantly down. So yes, the gear rule. It's funny how people have like these things that, you know, one little switch is going to fix the race. like, oh man, ever since they made everybody run the same gear, it's been shitty. Like a gear roll ain't it. It all comes down to air. Air is the enemy. If we could just turn, if we can go on iRacing, turn the aerodynamic effect down about 40%, we'd be dialed. But hey, guys, this is real life. It's real stuff we have to work through. So next question. Andy Miller asks, did you get steering issues fixed out from the Roval? Can you elaborate on the repairs that were made, assuming it was the same car? Yep, it was the same car, new clips on it, the ones that NASCAR developed since the second crash test. And I had zero steering issues, nor did I hear anybody else have any steering issues as well. I think maybe the majority of it was the paired-up caster at the road course you know, so if that thing, if you still have two and two degrees squared up caster, you get what's called a caster shake, similar to what you would get in your passenger car. So I think that's what we were seeing at the road course at the Robo specifically. Um, and then once you have some built-in caster, you know, you have two degrees left front, four or five degrees in the right front, you have always some load on that rack. So it's never confused on what's zero. So, um, I don't anticipate being any big issues, steering issues that we can't overcome. All right. And to wrap this up, we'll finish with Freddie Arts and Crafts. And he asks, hearing lots of reports that it's still way too hot in the car, even on short runs. How much hotter are we talking compared to the old car? It's not that much hotter. I mean, it was, granted, it was a cool day. It was probably 55, 60 degrees. It might be similar. It might be a touch more amp, you know, touch more high, than gen six car relative to ambient temperature, but not that much. Um, you know, they did they added the NACA duct to the windshield. They added some slits in the window. Uh, the pipes are gonna be shorter. So they've done a lot of things to get the interior cockpit temperature down, but it's hard to say without, you know, an 85 to 90 degree day, um, you know, when we go to Vegas forever. So I don't anticipate being that much hotter. And if it is, you know, you just gotta be tough. And penny stack of the week. There's Levi because he's at the bottom of the stairs yelling for me to come downstairs. So that means we're going to wrap this thing up. Thank y'all for tuning in and I will see y'all next week in Nash, Vegas, Chuck, Jonathan Merriman, Janie, and Pitt and Los analyst Ryan Flores. Y'all have a happy Easter. Thanksgiving. I'm sorry. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yay. Turkey. I was wondering why all three of y'all looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah.
1: It's been a long day and I'm over it and I'm hungry. And I need a beer because it's 530. Uh, Y'all have a great day and keep stacking pennies. I'll holler at you.